A Gnome There Was by Henry Kuttner and C.L. Moore Part 2 Crockett shut his eyes, again convinced that his lungs were laboring for breath. I'm dying, he said. I can't breathe. A contemptuous voice said, I hope you don't think you're breathing air. I'm not. Crockett didn't finish the sentence. His eyes popped again. He was hearing things. He heard it again. You're a singularly lousy specimen of gnome, the voice said. But under Nid's law, we can't pick and choose. Still, you won't be put to digging hard metals, I can see that. Anthracites about your speed? What are you staring at? You're very much uglier than I am. Crockett, endeavoring to lick his dry lips, was horrified to discover the end of his moist tongue dragging limply over his eyes. He whipped it back with a loud, smacking noise and managed to sit up. Then he remained perfectly motionless, staring. The head had reappeared. This time there was a body under it. I'm Groomagrew, said the head chattily. You'll be given a gnomic name, of course, unless your own is guttural enough. What is it? Crockett, the man responded in a stunned automatic manner. Hey? Crockett? Stop making noises like a frog and, uh, oh, I see. Crockett. Fair enough. Now, get up and follow me or I'll kick the pants off you. But Crockett did not immediately rise. He was watching Gru McGrew, obviously a gnome. Short, squat, and stunted, the being's figure resembled a bulging little barrel topped by an inverted turnip. The hair grew up thickly to a peak, the root, as it were. In the turnip face was a loose meant slit of a mouth, a button of a nose, and two very large eyes. Get up, Grumagrew said. This time Crockett obeyed, but the effort exhausted him completely. If he moved again, he thought he would go mad. It would be just as well. Gnomes. Grumagrew planted a large splay foot where it would do the most good, and Crockett described an arc which ended at a jagged boulder fallen from the roof. Get up, the gnome said with gratuitous bad temper, or I'll kick you again. It's bad enough to have an outlying prospect patrol where I might run into a man any time without... Up, or... Crockett got up. Grumagrew took his arm and impelled him into the depths of the tunnel. Well, you're a gnome now, he said. It's the Nidlaw. Sometimes I wonder if it's worth the trouble. But I suppose it is, since gnomes can't propagate and the average population has to be kept up somehow. I want to die, Crockett said wildly. Grumagrew laughed. Gnomes can't die. They're immortal. Till the day. Judgment day, I mean. You're not logical. Crockett pointed out as though by disproving one factor he could automatically disprove the whole fantastic business. You're either flesh and blood and have to die eventually, or you're not, and then you're not real. Oh, we're flesh and blood right enough, Grumagrew said. But we're not mortal. There's a distinction. Not that I've anything against some mortals, he hastened to explain. Bats, now, and owls, they're fine. But men, he shuddered. No gnome can stand the sight of a man. 
Crockett clutched at a straw. I'm a man. You were, you mean, Gru said. Not a very good specimen either for my ore. But you're a gnome now. It's the Nidlaw. You keep talking about the Nidlaw, Crockett complained. Of course you don't understand, said Gru McGrew in a patronizing fashion. It's this way. Back in ancient times, it was decreed that if any humans got lost in Under-Earth, a tithe of them would be transformed into gnomes. The first gnome emperor, Podrang III, arranged that. He saw that fairies could kidnap human children and keep them and spoke to the authorities about it. Said it was unfair. So, when miners and such like are lost underneath, a tithe of them are transformed into gnomes and join us. That's what happened to you. See? No, said Crockett weakly. Look, you said Podrang was the first gnome emperor. Why is he called Podrang III? No time for questions, Grumagru snapped. Hurry! He was almost running now, dragging the wretched Crockett after him. The new gnome had not yet mastered his rather unusual limbs, and due to the extreme wideness of his sandals, he trod heavily on his right hand but after that he learned to keep his arms bent and close to his sides. The walls, illuminated with that queer silvery radiance, spun past dizzily. Oh, what's that light? Crockett managed to gasp. Where's it coming from? Light? Grumagru inquired. It isn't light. Well, it isn't dark. Of course it's dark, the gnome snapped. How could we see if it wasn't dark? There was no possible answer to this except, Crockett thought wildly, a frantic shriek. And he needed all his breath for running. They were in a labyrinth now, turning and twisting and doubling through innumerable tunnels, and Crockett knew he could never retrace his steps. He regretted having left the scene of the cave-in, but how could he have helped doing so? Hurry, Grumagru urged. Hurry! <sighs> Why? Crockett got out breathlessly. There's a fight going on, the gnome said. Just then they rounded a corner and almost blundered into the fight. A seething mass of gnomes filled the tunnel, battling with frantic fury. Red and blue pants and tunics moved in swift patchwork frenzy. Turnip heads popped up and down vigorously. It was apparently a free-for-all. See? Gru gloated. A fight. I could smell it. Six tunnels away. Oh, a... Beauty! He ducked as a malicious-looking little gnome sprang out of the huddle to seize a rock and hurl it with vicious accuracy. The missile missed its mark, and Gru, neglecting his captive, immediately hurled himself upon the little gnome, bore him down on the cave floor, and began to beat his head against it. Both parties shrieked at the tops of their voices, which were lost in the deafening din that resounded through the tunnel. Oh, my, Crockett said weakly. He stood staring, which was a mistake. A very large gnome emerged from the pile, seized Crockett by the feet, and threw him away. The terrified, inadvertent projectile sailed through the tunnel to crash heavily into something which said, <laughs> There was a tangle of malformed arms and legs. Crockett arose to find that he had downed a vicious-looking gnome with flaming red hair and four large diamond buttons on his tunic. This repulsive creature lay motionless, out for the count. Crockett took stock of his injuries. There were none. 
His new body was hardy anyway. You saved me, said a new voice. He belonged to a lady gnome. Crockett decided that if there was anything uglier than a gnome, it was the female of the species. The creature stood crouching just behind him, clutching a large rock in one capable hand. Crockett ducked. I won't hurt you, the other howled above the din that filled the passage. You saved me. Muggsa was trying to pull my ears off. Oh, he's waking up. The red-haired gnome was indeed recovering consciousness. His first act was to draw up to his feet and, without rising, kick Crockett clear across the tunnel. The feminine gnome immediately sat on Muggs's chest and pounded his head with the rock until he subsided. Then she arose. You're not hurt? Good. I'm Brockle Bun. Oh, look! He'll have his head off in a minute! Crockett turned to see that his erstwhile guide, Gru McGrew, was gnomefully tugging at the head of an unidentified opponent, attempting, apparently, to twist it clear off. What's it all about? Crockett howled. Uh, Brocklebun? Brocklebun? She turned unwillingly. What? The fight! What started it? I did, she explained. I said, let's have a fight. Oh. That was all? Well, then we started, Brocklebun nodded. What's your name? Uh, Crockett. You're new here, aren't you? Oh, I know. You were a human being. Suddenly a new light appeared in her bulging eyes. Crockett, maybe you can tell me something. What's a kiss? Ah, uh, kiss? Crockett repeated in a baffled manner. Yes, I was listening inside a knoll once and heard two human beings talking, male and female by their voices. I didn't dare look at them, of course, but the man asked the woman for a kiss. Oh, Crockett said rather blankly. He asked for a kiss, eh? And then there was a smacking noise and the woman said that it was wonderful. I've wondered ever since. Because if any gnome asked me for a kiss, I wouldn't know what he meant. Gnomes don't kiss, Crockett asked in a perfunctory way. Gnomes dig, said Brocklebun, and we eat. I like to eat. Is a kiss like mud soup? Well, not exactly. Somehow Crockett managed to explain the mechanics of osculation. The gnome remained silent, pondering deeply. At last she said, with the air of one bestowing mud soup upon a hungry applicant, I'll give you a kiss. Crockett had a nightmare picture of his whole head being engulfed in that enormous maw. He backed away. No, he got out. I, I'd rather not. Then let's fight, said Brocklebun without rancor and swung a knotted fist which smacked painfully athwart Crockett's ear. Oh, no, she said regretfully, turning away. The fight's over. It wasn't very long, was it? Crockett, rubbing his mangled ear, saw that in every direction, gnomes were picking themselves up and hurrying off about their business. They seemed to have forgotten all about the recent conflict. The tunnel was once more silent, save for the pad-padding of gnomes' feet on the rock. Groomagrew came over, grinning happily. Hello, Brocklebun, he greeted. A good fight. Who's this? He looked down at the prostrate body of Mugza, the red-haired gnome. Mugza, 
said Brocklebun. He's still out. Let's kick him. They proceeded to do it with vast enthusiasm while Crockett watched and decided never to allow himself to be knocked unconscious. It definitely wasn't safe. At last, however, Groomer grew tired of the sport and took Crockett by the arm again. Come along, he said. And they sauntered along the tunnel, leaving Brocklebun jumping up and down on the senseless Muggs' stomach.